Welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen. It's the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. My name is Phil, and in this episode, I was joined by Brian Lisson, who is the president of AdventureWorks, a professional vendor member based in Canada. Now, I want to quickly add that this episode was recorded quite a while back, just before the ACCT conference, at which Brian was awarded the Critical Link Award. Now, this is a big deal because the Critical Link Award is the ultimate award you can get for service towards the industry and ACCT. So, congrats to Brian. Very well deserved. Reach out to Brian. Say congrats if you haven't already, and hope you enjoy this episode. I did send you some questions ahead of time, but what I didn't uh, send you is we. I'm going to do a a segment that I am calling that even has a theme tune, and it's called Mystery Questions. Ooh. A ridiculously over-exaggerated theme tune for me doing this segment. <laughs> okay. All right. So how this works, uh, Brian, is I have a list of 10 questions that I've written that you do not know. And all I want you to do is give me a number from 1 to 10. And that will be the question that you answer. But I will also answer it too. So it's just a, a, a way for us to connect in a slightly different way. So 1 to 10, pick a number. Cool. Uh, seven. Seven. Okay, so very interesting. Okay, this one is, what are you not very good at? Uh, well, <laughs> how long is this? Segment? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, an hour later. Well, we did get on to all the other questions. <laughs> <laughs> what am I very good at? Yeah. I am uh, professionally or otherwise. Yeah, I guess it's up to you it to pick. Matter. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, up to you to pick one. What strikes you as something you're not uh, good at? I am. I am really not very good at anything with crafts. <sighs> no crafts. Yeah. No. Not, not. No. I. You know, we'll talk later. But I. You know, I got into challenge courses in camp. Mm-hmm. I thought the craft cabin was the most dangerous place to be in camp. <laughs> So I chose the challenge course. Yep. That was funny because so, I remember. I'm not good at crafts. I remember when I started working at summer camp, they would um, list. You had to, for the camp that I worked at, because I didn't get uh, pre-assigned to a location. Like I wasn't hired to be a lifeguard or I wasn't hired to be these things. They would, There was a sheet of paper that had all these different things and you had to tick or it was like a range of a number. One, you're not very comfortable doing it. Five, you'd be comfortable doing it. And that's how they put your general counselor staff around the camp. Arts and crafts is something I definitely put as a one, not comfortable doing. What I did put is I put a number, like a three or two or three around fishing because I thought to myself, well, I've never done it before, but maybe I could teach it. Well, nonsense. I ended up getting put on fishing. <laughs> that was the area of my expertise for like a month trying to, I had to learn how to fish. It was an absolute nightmare, right? So uh, things that I'm not very good at 
is actually probably something that you are pretty good at is uh i'm i'm pretty useless with any uh building diy or any of that kind of stuff and i i think it's useless because i've never been taught not useless because i couldn't do it but i always feel terrible like i speak to some of our like challenge course builders and installers they're all like master carpenters so they're like they're talking about stuff they did at their house and you know oh yeah we had some stuff with the windows so i just ripped the windows out and put new ones in and i'm like I, I think I know the first step is take the window out, <laughs> but that is probably my limit. And I, I don't know what they do after that. So that's the, that's the part that I'm not good at, which I also feel embarrassed about because I'd love to high five is maybe slightly unique in that, like we in, in vendors that we, we have very specific skills rather than being generalists. So uh, I'm good as a trainer. I'm not good at being on the build side. And I always regret that part of it, but maybe at some point, I keep saying enough that the builders should take me on a build, but I just feel like they're going to prank me or I'm going to be the butt of a joke for a week. Uh, so I'm always somewhat hesitant. Uh, awesome. So there, there's that wonderful segment, mystery questions. So thank you for indulging. Thank you uh, for joining us on the podcast. I, I'm, I'm excited to be able to talk to you. I've We've spoken a few times at conferences, normally like a meal, uh, and it's been a light conversation. I haven't really, I really don't know much uh, about you and uh, how you got into this industry. So let's start there. What was your introduction to the world of adventure education? I had always grown up in, you know, in the Boy Scout movement. So I had always sort of been involved in, you know, organized outdoor adventure programming to a certain degree, which was mostly, you know, camping and canoe tripping Mm. being in Ontario. And then I started working at a summer camp, local summer camp that was actually run. The director was uh, the minister at our church, actually. And so I started working at a summer camp when I was the summer I turned 16 and that summer, they built uh, a challenge course of sorts. And this is in like the early 1980s. So there weren't, you know, there weren't companies around that built challenge courses. I mean, Project Adventure was around, but not really in Canada yet. Uh, and so uh, I showed up to camp and they said, we're going to build this thing called a ropes course. And we, you know, literally had a copy of Cows, Tails and Cobras in one hand and <laughs> a very underpowered power drill in the other. And, you know, I helped these people who I thought knew all kinds of things, but they were like, you know, 20 and I was, you know, 16 and we built this thing. So like most people who work at a summer camp, if you stay long enough, they put you in charge of something. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I became in charge of the challenge course um, in, in my last, my senior year of high school. So I ran the challenge course that summer with a of training from somebody who I'm not sure whether like in the scheme of things, they were really qualified to train me or not, but we managed to get through the summer and we had a fun time and I was kind of hooked at that moment. And uh, when I, so that fall I started university uh, in a rec and leisure uh, program and it turned out the university had just also built a challenge course and that the professor uh, was a project adventure trainer. And uh, so orientation week we did the whole like adventure program you know sort of what we would sort of more understand as a a proper adventure program and I was I mean I never looked back Uh, and then that professor was uh, overlapped uh, by uh, Dr. Simon Priest Mm. who wrote many of the 
early studies in corporate venture training in the late 80s. And I ended up learning from him and being his TA and, you know, holding the beanbags for him and for people like Mike Gass and some of these other real, you know, like leaders in the field. And I was just sort of always at the right, in the right place at the right time. And uh, it was like, just kind of meant to be like, I, I'm not sure how I could have done anything else, Mm -hmm. you know, professionally. What about it do you think is the pull? What's the draw for you? I mean, initially, I think for lots of people, it was like, you know, the excitement of the, you know, the height and the climbing and the the shiny stuff. But I think at the same time, as I was sort of working at the camp and starting to use some of the like group initiatives and those things, um, I just saw the difference it made in how the kids interacted, like thinking about like a two week camp session I didn't know how it worked, but I knew that if I did the, you know, TP shuffle or something, you know, with a log that was with this log at the top of the hill in sort of the center camp area, and I get the kids up on the log and they do, you know, change places and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And something happened and I didn't really like know what it was. And at the same time, I knew if I took my kids on a, a camp out or like a two or three day hiking trip really early in the camp session it paid rewards later. Like everything was easier and better. And I feel like that was like the, like I knew something was going on and then I've really kind of like really sort of, that's been the career, which is like trying to figure out what was going on Mm -hmm. so that we could replicate it and make it better. And uh, you, you know, and be more intentional about how we build community. So, and I was lucky. I was at a camp that was really focused on small group living, small group learning, and a real community focus. Mm -hmm. And the challenge course adventure programming stuff, just, it just fit. It it, it was just such a good blend. So really like the high, the high adventure part of it now for me is, yeah, it's, it's fine. You know, it has, it has its use, Mm -hmm. but I'm much more engaged by, you know, the group initiative stuff and the, you know, how we're building community as opposed to the more, you know, personal adventure benefit of like an adventure park or something like that. This is, this may, this is a naive question maybe from my end, but I, I really don't know um, uh, Canada that, that well. Is experiential education, adventure education as big as it is in this country? It's probably as big, but it's positioned differently. So I would say there's a lot less challenge course programming in schools. Mm as there are in summer camps, but summer camps are accessed by schools through outdoor education programming and things like that. Mm. So I think that's more the model here. I mean, Canada is really big and really diverse. And so I think the culture around it is a bit different depending which part of the country you're in. So Ontario very much has a big, you know, it's a land of lakes, right? So a very big summer camp culture. And then that culture sort of spills into schools Mm -hmm. and school boards either, you know, contract outdoor education with summer camps or have centers of their own um, where adventure, you know, challenge courses live. But I don't think it's for the most part, like the model I hear from, you know, my U S colleagues where, you know, you're building challenge courses in schools. That's a bit more unique here.
how did you end up becoming the president creating adventure works what was the steps there that led you uh, yeah, into that world yeah. it was it was an accident <laughs> <laughs> so this camp that i worked at i during university i needed a job that was more than 2 months long in the summer so i came back and created sort of this adventure program uh, outdoor ed program that we could um sell to schools. Uh, this is back when I'm, you know, I'm 21 or something. And um, the camp had just been through a big capital campaign and had really rebuilt all the cabins. So it was sort of a perfect time. They wanted to sort of grow into uh, year round business. So, so we sort of developed this thing and it was really the first of it, one of the first of its kind in the area because sort of that kind of adventure programming hadn't really, you know, sort of, it wasn't here yet just in little pockets. So, um, so I did that for a while. And then in sort of an employment transition out of that job, I sort of ended up privatizing the program um, that they wanted to, the, the church organization that owned the place didn't want to continue to run the program. And so I literally left my job as the camp director outdoor ed director one day and returned as adventure works the next day oh, wow. with our first school group. And, uh, and we continue to be on this property. My office is here. Um, so I've really worked at this property that I'm on for like 40 years, <laughs> just about. Um, and so it sort of grew from there. We were doing event, you know, we were doing programming and building our own stuff. And then, you know, some of my camp colleagues who I knew would be like, oh, I think we'd like to like put a low ropes in. Could you come and look at our site? So I went and looked at their site and, uh, kind of figured out how to build the stuff. And then I had a chance to work with the first challenge course company here in Canada and their builder had done a PA building internship. And so I went and built a couple courses with him and just kind of grew from there. And this is before ACCT and before, you know, real vendors. And so we started as a, a program, you know, facilitation company and we're still very much rooted in that and do a lot of that work. But it just kind of grew to building and then training and then inspections and, you know, all the things we do now. So, What do you think is the value of our work beyond the stuff that it gives you? Like what, oh, what, yeah. what, what's the, what's the point of, of doing this stuff? It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's about community. For me, it's about community. It's about relationships. I, I think it's critical. Chris Cavert said to me one time, you know, the, the more I know about you, the less likely I am to hurt you. And I thought that was such a simple way to think about, you know, we have so much more in common with one another. And I think what we do is we help kids, adults, whatever, find those, you know, those common things that builds, uh, you know, relationship. And then I think that, you know, for me, that builds capacity to th then deal with the things that we disagree about. Um, so for me, that's always been the motive, uh, you know, relationship, community, uh, being better together. You've been right. in this industry for a while, longer than I have, certainly. And so I wonder from your perspective, have you, have you seen the amount of growth in the industry that you would like to have, like to see? Do you think like that we still need to grow? Because from my perspective, I feel we, I feel we're an undervalued and under, un. I don't know. I feel like we're sometimes pseudo on the fringe and everything that we do seems yeah. to be crucial at the core of being a human being. So why are we not more? And maybe that's yeah. young ambition, but like what your perspective, have you seen the growth you want to see? Where do you hope we get? 
Yeah, it's like the best of times and the worst of times in some ways for yeah. us. Like I think all like pedagogically, the things that we've been, you know, certainly that I've been doing and talking about for, th- you know, at least 30 years, uh, it turns out that they're supported in the literature now. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that's just good education. So, mm-hmm. so I think the good news is our pedagogy has been accepted by the mainstream, you know, call it what you want, project-based learning or social emotional learning, or, mm-hmm. you know, it has different, you know, but really at, at its core are the kinds of things we've always been doing, which is, you know, about choice, about participation, about, um, you know, you know, experiential learning. So, so I think that's the good news. Um, I think the bad news is like the industry has grown like exponentially, but not necessarily in the learning side of the equation. Um, And I think that the sort of the risk is that uh, the commercialization of, you know, the adventure park or the, or the ropes course um, makes it harder for us to create uh, unique experiences um, because Kids have been there and done that. Uh, so I think there's sort of like it's, uh, you know, uh, the activity, the tool has been popularized, but the tool's not necessarily being used in the same way in the in the commercial space, which is fine. I don't have anything against that. Uh, but I think it makes it more challenging for us to communicate um, a compelling experience and for our approach to, there's something about the novelty that's not there and I think novelty has been so critical to, um, you know, what hooks people in and gets them engaged. Why do you think that entertainment brings in a higher value point than education? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about throughput. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, we have this interesting, like, kind of, conversation even within our own uh, program so we, we also do some outdoor top rope rock climbing at a natural outdoor climbing site as well as our challenge course and people are willing to pay more for an outdoor rock climbing experience than they are for a challenge course experience mm-hmm. but i would argue like the cost of my delivering the challenge course program is way higher because i have this whole capital infrastructure that i have to manage where the cliff, I just show up to it with my equipment and I, and we do our thing. And I think that there's probably like what you see. So you've got this, you think about if we do in a facilitation program or a team development, leadership development program, they don't see as much if we're, if we're having meaningful conversation with a group about a subject, how do we put a price on that? Whereas it's very clear, we can put a price on the physical structure of poles in the ground, cables, ropes, like we can market that for a price, but yeah. we don't aren't able to as easily market all of the work that we put into another program in the same way. Right. I just find it very interesting from like the amount of money that we charge for a challenge course versus what we would charge for for an adventure program. I think a lot of it is also um, the economics of who's paying for it. I, I mean, I yeah. think that's one of the, the challenges on the education mm-hmm. side. You know, it's it's either for us, you know, it's publicly funded, which is a limited, you know, pool of money, or it's, you know, that plus grants or plus, you know, parent buy-in where, you know, if I take my family to the adventure park on the weekend, I'm making a, you know, personal economic decision about how we're going to spend our entertainment dollar. Mm. So, so it's, so there are those differences, right? Yeah. I was speaking to a principal um, recently who was saying 
that when they go back to school, when they do end up getting back, their focus for this year is not going to be the academics for the kids. It's going to be dealing with the trauma that they've gone through, reconnecting, worrying about the SEL stuff. And that was like, this is good. Like the principal realizes this is the important stuff. Yeah. And then this is how, this is how we can contribute rather than building a training, you know, like a, I was thinking of a summer camp training that I did where I had to work so hard to encourage them to add a day where I could teach their staff facilitation skill. And they were like, right. yeah, but we just need them to belay. Okay, but I, I promise you, this is this will be helpful if I can teach them how to actually empower their students better. So there's like, yeah. I felt like but it's I always think, been yeah, a battle. And I see that with our, you know, our clientele. It's, you know, are they in the business of selling an activity or an outcome? Mm. And I think that that's the tension, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're in the, I like to think we're in the outcome business here, but there's this shiny thing, right, that, it's like, yeah, but what about the rope scores or what about the zip line? I mean, I can't count the number of people I've talked out of building a zip line because when they described to me what they were hoping to achieve, it was the wrong tool for the job. You know, I, I always kind of like to say to like, you know, installers, you know, could, could you put, could you bang a staple into the tree using your Klein wrench? Well, most builders say, yeah, I could. But I'm like, but would you? Well, no, I'd use, you know, something else, you know, a mm-hmm. hand sledge or whatever. And I feel like sometimes that's what components of the ropes course are like. You know, it's like, this is the tool we want, even though, and we're going to use it for every job, mm-hmm. even though it's maybe not the right tool for the job. It, yeah. And then we're going to, and then we're not going to staff with, a, you know, a carpenter. We're just going to, you know, read the instructions on the table saw I got. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like sometimes the, it is just a tool and a tool to be used really well to get to the outcome. The finished product you want has to be used by, you know, a craftsperson, somebody who knows how to. So yeah. I think sometimes though we get kind of locked into just the focus on the tool. As well as your work like at AdventureWorks, you're also you serve on the board emeritus for ACC two, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. which, which as you described to me at a, previ- at a previous conversation, just meant you had some gray hair. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's why I've grown the gray beard, <laughs> yeah, so I could be in that group. That's right. <laughs> uh, but you also served on the board, and you're involved in many committees. From an insider perspective, from ACCT, what do you see as as the as the future of the industry? Are you? We hear a lot about trainer accreditation. Where yeah, do you see the industry going? Yeah, there's a lot of good work happening to, I I think like credentialing overall is, I think, you know, the association really started out of the idea of standards and we've done a good job with that. And we've got a really, I think a good robust standards process now, especially with the ANSI, you know, being part of that. And so now I think the next focus is on in credentialing the people doing the work or credentialing the organizations doing the work, whether they be the vendor uh, or, you know, the operator of the program. So I think that's the, that's a, a big part of the future uh, for the industry. And then figuring out how we do a better job of uh, education and learning for people in the industry. I mean, I think if COVID has taught us nothing, it's how to, uh, you know, work virtually 
mm-hmm. um, and not always have to you know, fly people from all over the world in order to have a, an educational moment. Um, not that, you know, the virtual replaces it, but it does put another tool in the toolbox. So I think that's a big opportunity for the industry, especially given the growth we've seen over the last, you know, six or seven years, that those things are really needed. There, there may be people who are like don't enjoy the idea of certification or credentialing, and sure. and and I I understand that point of view. But I myself I enjoy the certification process. I enjoy I enjoy um, administering that. But I also myself I I want to be credentialed. I want to be tested. Right. You know, I yeah. It's it's for me. It's an internal growth thing. Like, what do I not know? And I don't know unless yeah. someone tells me. Because as well, being a trainer is. Most of the time on the, on the, I'm on the road on my own. I'm not, that's something I do envy the building teams when they go to build a chance course, they often are building with a group of people. When I go to train, it's not, I'm not going with the whole training team. (laughs) I'm doing it on my own. And so I could have many years where I've not seen anyone else do anything. And I'm like, and so I get excited about the potential for myself to learn more in this industry also, because, because it, it is, it is very broad and there's a lot to it. A lot more than I, I think, sometimes realize. As I said, when I was at summer camp, I used to think I knew it all. Even putting like incremental like newsletters, e-newsletters or e-blogs, um, I see them pop up on Facebook all the time, LinkedIn and stuff, with variations on activities. And and I can I can attest from ourselves at High Five, we've been very grateful because a lot of the stuff, some of the stuff we did at Gathering Again workshops, we were taking, utilizing from some of that resource. We've been sending people that way. Are you involved in that? Have you been enjoying that process of coming up with those? I, I have enjoyed it. I haven't been, I, I'm not like the author of almost any, I've sort of organized it mm. and, and get it out. But uh, it's been sort of a blend of Sean and Kathy and, mm. uh, you know, we'll sort of talk at our weekly meeting about what, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of the weekly, it's just part of the weekly COVID meeting, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. every week we, you know, half our staff meeting is what's new in the world of COVID this week from, do we wash this or not wash this? What are we allowed to do? Not allowed to do where can we travel, not travel. And then there's this other piece, which is like, okay, how do we, you know, how do we do uh, physically distant? You know, my thing is that like for a long time, we're being asked to be socially distant. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't be socially distant. Mm -hmm. So we're about being physically distant while being socially connected. So we've been trying to like figure out how to do that from the virtual to the, if we're together, how do we do that safely? Mm-hmm. So that's been a lot of the, like the blog posts for a little while has been sort of driven around that. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of, driven out of going out and we haven't done a lot of training this year or last year, mm. but the little bit we did, we learned a lot of things every time. And that's what the blog post sort of became yep. like, oh, let's write that down and share that and help people move past that. Oh, I can't, I can't do anything. But when we're back to being able to be together, but have to be together carefully, you know, there's lots we can still do and get to the outcomes we want to and still keep it fun. And poly spots, pool noodles and uh, hula hoops. These are your friends. Yeah. I think sometimes we forget like the, the stuff that we do just by experimentation, if we don't share it, people are going to be unaware. We had people come to the gathering again and we were doing something that stuff that we thought that was relatively simplistic, but 
there were so many people who just said, oh, thank you for doing this because it allows us to think that it's possible. Beyond the like the the specific of the activities, specific of the using the noodles here or the spot markers here or just extending the size of the rope on the A-frames. Like, yeah. Those, yeah. those little things, what that does beyond those, I think gives people the ability to realize it's still possible. You've you've been in the industry a long time. You 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 understand the industry. If if a new emerging professional, someone who was interested at a conference, and they saw you, and what advice do you give them that would help them be in work in our industry? What's your, what's your piece of advice? Because are there are there jobs in our industry? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Don't say that. Well, I'll cut this part out. There's oh, no, sorry. Yeah, sorry. No, no. Yeah, in the limited opportunities that are exist in this industry. How could you foresee, what advice would you give to emerge? Because we work with a lot of students. I don't know about you, but we yeah, bring yeah, a lot of students yeah. in. And that's, I'm a, I'm, I was actually uh, yesterday interviewed uh, a college, a person that works at college with an adventure program. I said, yeah. you're feeding all of these kids out into the world. What are you yeah. telling them? Because <laughs> like, well, so, yeah. so, so what would you say oh, to yeah. students? What, what do I say? I mean, the first is like, be good at something. So up here in outdoor education, there's sort of like, you know, you're on the, the paddling path or you're on the like, you know, the vertical path, you know, climbing challenge courses. So that's the first is like pick one. You don't have to do it all, but be like irreplaceable at one of them uh, so that you're in the door. And in up here, it's a level two challenge course practitioner. I mean, they're like gold here um, because people don't stay in the industry very long in part up here because our season's so short. Like it's very seasonal as I'm sure it is like where you live, mm-hmm. but, but we don't have our, the rest of the country that's, you know, warmer. That's true. <laughs> you can't go to the warmer to, south right? of Canada. Yeah, you don't go to the warmer <laughs> part of, you know, yeah. <laughs> British Columbia where it rains every day and yeah. the warmer time, but you know, whatever. Um, so there's that. And then I think the other is to like, just like leap on the opportunities to uh, tag along and learn from others. And I'm not like advocating, you know, the like, the free labor of, you know, where we make people come to work and we don't pay them and call it an internship. I'm not, that's not what I'm suggesting, but I really learned because, you know, it's like, could you come and, you know, Mike Gass is coming up to do a workshop with me. Would you like to come and, you know, hold the beanbags? Yeah, sure. Why not? And, you know, watch a master at work, you know, and learn so much. So I think that's a big piece is to be open to uh, the possibilities of, you know, just take, just leaping on the opportunities and it builds like both the skill set, but also the connections and the relationships Mm -hmm. uh, such that, you know, when it's time to go looking for the job, there's you're, you're more familiar with who's out there and they're more familiar with you. I'm intrigued that the, you know, there aren't that many level twos in Canada. That's it, it is something that we I've noticed here too. Once you get to a certain, if you've been in the industry longer than five years, you're seasoned. <laughs> so it's yeah, yeah. There yeah. is a seasonality to it that there's a purposeful intention around this is where I want to end, and you just have to keep staying stay in yeah. it for as long as you can because then opportunity will arise. Yes, there aren't that yeah. many jobs out there, but when they do appear, there aren't hundreds and hundreds of applicants applying for them so it's not because right. the, by the time it gets to a certain point the pool is diminished like That's we've right. had that yeah. with hiring trainers at high five when we get to a certain stage our recommendations for and we have reduced them but when i was hired it was 10 years of experience 
before you could become a trainer. Like there wasn't many people who had been working in the field yeah. for 10 years who were available, <laughs> who didn't already yeah, no, have a job. That's, that's right. Yeah. And here it's even, you know, like from a, you know, we're a very small, there's not very many vendors here. So there's not even, there's not a big pool of people mm-hmm. here um, yeah. compared to where you are. So it's, it is challenging for sure to find people with that level of experience. And most people will have done a whole lot of different things to be in the field for 10 years. Yeah. Like even their job descriptions will have included challenge course or adventure programming, but that's probably just a small, you know, corner of their responsibilities mm-hmm. if they're working full time in, you know, camping or outdoor education up here. Yep. Yep. So, no, it was the same for me. My outdoor ed work, I was doing a lot of forest ecology at the same time and survival right. classes and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Well, thanks for this. Yeah. I appreciate later, it. Phil. Okay. We'll do. Bye bye. So, thank you once again to Brian for being on this podcast and congratulations for winning this year's Critical Link Award. If you want to reach out to Brian, you can check out all the links in the descriptions to ways to reach out to him. He is a wonderful resource in this industry and is an incredibly gracious person who will accept any questions and answer them promptly. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do so either via email, podcast at highfiveadventure.org, or by going onto our Instagram at Vertical Playpen and sending a direct message there. And that's probably the easiest place you'll reach me. Happy to respond, happy to answer any questions. Anyway, thank you so much, everyone. Stay safe, stay connected. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs> <laughs>